if you have an interest in horses and love learning more about horses, the horse industry, teaching, or even managing your own horse business, then you're in the right place. We would love you to join us on our mission, which is to improve the lives of horses around the world through the education of riders, handlers, and trainers. So get comfortable, listen in, and enjoy. Today on Horse Chats, we've got a guest from the other side of the world. We haven't chatted for a little while, Brendan Bergen. How are you today, Brendan? Yeah, not too bad. Kept going. It's quite it's quite early here, um, so I've only sort of just up. It's it's six a.m. here, so um, forgive me if I sound a little bit groggy. Um, usually, we're a bit later on in the day when we start talking to people. <laughs> not a problem at all. Now, Brendan, we're going to talk today about ways to develop logical training and development plan, which could happen at the beginning of the year, but it could happen just after COVID, horses coming back into work, there's lots of times during the year that we can use the development of logical training and development plans. Absolutely. I suppose um, my thoughts on this were um, for lots of us, certainly for us over here, we're locked down. So um, trying to develop a plan for whenever the season starts is quite difficult. So I think it's important to really think of what's your long-term goal and what small steps can you do to potentially fix problems because you're locked down because you've got more time to address the training rather than going from competition goal to competition goal because I think once you get into that competition season and you know you've got um, a one star or two stars or next week um, you're then just working towards okay I've got to be jumping clear up the, the meter 10 meter 15 at home Whereas at the moment, you can be down jumping 80s, 90s and really perfecting, say, the likes of lines and things like that. So I think that um, COVID has certainly supplied us with a great opportunity. And it's all about looking at it from the right end of the telescope. Yes. Yeah. And that's a positive outlook of it as well. Brendan, before we go any further, I just would like to remind people about the motto of International Horse College, which is people safety and horse welfare. So if that's the way you feel when you're working around horses, just go to the website, internationalhorsecollege.com, registered training organisation 31352, and have a look around at um, any courses or if you'd like to, just contact us and talk to one of our friendly team and um, talk about your goals and your education in the future. Meanwhile, we'll come back to this development plan, Brendan. Now, you've given me a few notes here. So I'm going to go through the notes and you can just expand and um, talk a little bit further. Is that okay? The first thing you've got is to have a good frame of reference to evaluate your training. Yeah, okay. So I suppose anyone who's heard any of my chats before, like there's there's always a little bit of a, I suppose, a red thread that goes through them. And I, I always think of the evaluation of, of what you're doing as a really important um, facet of, of, of what you're doing. So... Um, I have sort of four um, sort of groups of words that I use to see where I'm at. And I actually have what I have is I've got a, a sort of a little notebook that I use myself where I write down sort of where my horse is at each day. Um, and I find that a really helpful way of remaining positive because I can be quite a negative person in my nature. So um, being able to evaluate where the horse is on, on these scales is helpful. So um, we start off with the constants, which are acceptance, calmness, forwardness, straightness, and purity. Then you've got your variables, which are direction, speed, impulsion, balance, and timing. 
Then you've got your traditional German scale of training, which um, even though I don't particularly subscribe to it from a training perspective, it's certainly the way dressage is evaluated. So we have to keep that in mind. So that's rhythm, suppleness, contact, impulsion, straightness and collection. And then when I'm training new stuff, I think of the um, shaping scale, which is basic attempt, obedience, rhythm, straightness, contact and proof. And I find that if you if I look at things with sort of those free, four frames of reference in mind, it can I can usually um, plot where I am on at least one or two of those, and it just makes a huge difference to the holistic um, approach to goal setting. Do you find when you um, this is to do with keeping notes that you you look back a week or two and you go oh yeah yeah. But you look back longer, you know, a few months or 12 months and you go, wow, we really, really have come a long way. Do you find that? Oh, definitely. Like the, the big thing I find a lot and the reason why I've started taking notes is sometimes you can have a really bad day with your horse and you can be thinking, oh, my God, this day has been uh, she's never been this bad. She's just being such a moody cow or whatever. But then you look back and if you look back far enough, usually you'll find that it's like that worst day that you're having now was the best day you had six months ago. But you've forgotten because you're only like, you know, we're such fickle creatures that we're only thinking about maybe a couple of weeks back. And and that's where, like, if you've got a good coach on the ground, they can be saying, well, you know, what? like it was actually like it's so much better than it was six months ago. And if you've if you've been with that coach a long time, you've got that authenticity and that belief in what they have to say, whereas you know, I know sometimes I can be like, oh, no, I don't think you're right. And then I'll go back to the book and I'll be like, oh, well, actually, she was right. And she she was actually giving me really good counsel at that time, whereas I, I wasn't sort of able to accept that because all I could think of is I hate my horse because she's being so d- difficult today. So I think I think it's just, you know, it with goals, it, it's really important to look forward. But it's also really important to look backwards. Yes, yes. The next thing you've got is make sure the horse has clarity and understanding. Yeah. So for people who, who've coached with me regularly, they'll understand that what's most important to me when I'm I'm working with a, a horse and rider combination is that everything has to be clear, even if it means that someone has to be briefly upset for that to happen. And I think of that like I think of Andrew working with horses and, you know, um, using negative reinforcement and you know, you have to keep, if you like, irritating the horse until you get to that motivational pressure point. And then the, the irritation goes away. And that pr- supplies immense clarity to the, the horse as to what is required. And um, whereas I think sometimes people back off going, the horse is getting stressed. So I've got to remove the pressure because the horse is getting stressed. Whereas you've got to think, You've got to remove the pressure because the horse has come to a basic attempt of some kind. So it's always in the right direction. I think it's really important that we recognize that. Like, I'm not advocating that we should make horses stressed, but I think that we have to make sure that the release of pressure comes at the right time. And I also think you've got to pigeonhole the horse's responsibilities into one box and our responsibilities into another box. So I always think the rider has four jobs. First is to look and plan, to go at the right speed, in the right direction, and have the right balance to facilitate the horse doing their job. 
once the rider looks after those things, the horse can effectively look after the rest. And I think riders sometimes shut horses down, in particular, like if you're coming into a big oxer or a tight turn on course, I think sometimes the horse can be over shut down. And that speed is the, the momentum the horse needs to move around that turn. And we take that out because of our own misgivings, whereas we need to actually follow that speed down to the fence to allow the horse to make a correct judgment. Yep. I love the way that, you know, we talk about clarity and understanding, but I think, you know, if we go back and look at every single one of your chats, you've come in and you've said, this is the topic that we're going to talk about. These are the points that are really important that we need to discuss. And I think that gives clarity to that area. And I think what you're doing is the same thing here. Yeah, I think think the problem with some of my chats, though, is that um, it's a bit parroting. There's a lot of repetition, but I suppose that's because I, I find that those core points like you just I just can't move past them they're just so critical and, and I've noticed that like I've listened to um Christoph Hess I've listened to Andrew on uh, Andrew McLean on your chats and it's the same thing they've got a theme that permeates down yes and I hope you'll have Christoph on a bit more because I just I've got a lot of time for his logic of thinking I will definitely he's very generous with his time he's actually sent me an email when's our next chat so I have to uh, get back to that one yeah fantastic now the goals, okay, so build your goals from the end of the season to the beginning. So is that looking at the end of the season, where do I want to go, and then coming back to the beginning? Is that what you mean there? Absolutely. Like the, the thing with goal setting is, um, first of all, I think of dreaming. And um, you have to get past the point where you're in survival mode when you're building your goals. So um, if, you're, um, if you're just surviving, there's no room to dream. So you've got to go, right, I want to do a two-star at the end of the year. So you've got things you think of. You've got to, you've got to get your minimum entry requirements up to do that. Um, equally, you've got to identify um, the skills you and your horse need to develop, which we'll get onto in a few minutes. And you've got to build backwards from that end goal. So, for example, as you move from, say, one-star to two-star, um, the fence shapes don't change, but the way the combinations are put together start to change. And the, the, the way the questions asked on cross-country, on the cross-country course, change. You've got to develop your, your plan and your skills development to address that change. Um, otherwise, your, your goal is doomed from the start. So I suppose that's when, and it doesn't matter whether you're, you're doing dressage, you know, if you're moving sort of from your um, advanced medium to to your advanced, you're starting to look at a different sort of change. As you move from advanced to PSG, you're looking at a different kind of change again. And the way those changes are presented come totally differently as you move up the levels. The same with the show jumping. The combinations become more technical as well as the height coming up. And the height should never be the limiting factor. Um, you've got to be thinking of developing the skills so the height is just an incidental. Okay, okay. And I suppose a good course designer is going to take that into consideration as well. It's not just about the height. Yeah, well, I suppose you as well have to think of, like lots of people undervalue what the course designer does. We have to remember what the course designer does is they're writing a test for us. And when you walk the course cross-country, show jumping, whatever it is, you've got to ask, what is the course designer 
asking of me here? I was on a webinar recently with Eric Smiley. He, he did a, um, a webinar of the badminton 2019 course walk. And that's one thing he kept repeating is, what is the course designer asking of me here? Is this offense for recouping? Is this offense for testing the straightness? Is this offense for testing the pace? And you've got to keep asking yourself that. Like, I think you watch people walk, walk in courses and, you know, they're out for a chat with their friends. Course walking, particularly cross country as you move up the levels, is a really serious job. And you've got to really go, what am I being asked? What skills does the horse have to have to do? And looking back historically through course walks, you can really help that inform your development goals over time. I suppose you, you know, we've set the goals and you're talking about um, the next step would logically be identifying the skills gap. You sort of talked about it a little bit just then. Is that the next thing we're talking about? Yeah. So the next two points are sort of combined. So there's the skills gaps in the horse and the skills gaps in the rider. And in my experience, the horse skill gaps is usually the minor point because when you're thinking of horses that they're working off their instinct. And like, if you come cantering down to a big scary fence, the horse's instinct is to do whatever they can to not die at the fence, not to fall, not do whatever. The problem is the rider has to have um, instilled the signals so that we can provide that clarity to the horse coming down to the fence to make sure they're coming in at the right speed. So in other chats, we, we, another chat we did a while back was uh, one about jumping. I can't remember exactly the name of the chat, but we talked about having the horse set up in gear so that they can do their job. And I suppose that's the skill that I'm talking about here in, is that communication between horse and rider. And then there's also on the other end of things, you've got your physical development, making sure the right muscles are in place for doing that job. So if we think about how horses fatigue and what happens when horses fatigue, that's when you get tendon injuries and that sort of thing is through fatigue. So you think of the muscles. when The muscle is super elastic and moves a lot and can absorb, let's say, the likes of landing, whereas the tendons are totally non-elastic. So as those muscles fatigue and the lactic acid builds up in them, the muscle elasticity drops and then that pressure goes down into your horse's tendons. So if you haven't done that basic fitness work and really develop the fitness and elasticity and snap in the muscles, then you're cruising for your horse having a tendon injury. As we all know, once you've got a tendon injury, they usually don't come back fully right after that. And usually the problems come from lack of preparation. Now, freak accidents do happen, but you know it's usually a lack of preparation and a lack of fitness that predisposes tendon injuries. Stop. I need to interrupt this chat for a hot-off-the-press notification. That is, that the latest version of the book, 101 Careers in the Horse Industry, is now available, and the best news is that it's a free download. So if you work in the horse industry, if you have a plan to work in the horse industry and have a career in the horse industry, or if you know someone who plans to have a career in this fabulous industry, then this is an essential book for you to read now, and then keep as a reference as you progress through your career. With over 100 jobs to choose from, you'll probably find at least one that you'd happily do without being paid. So simply go to internationalhorsecollege.com, scroll down to the bottom of the page, and click on the 
101 careers in the horse industry button to receive your free career book. Imagine, maybe one day you could be a guest on Horse Chats. Now, once you've identified the gaps, okay, so you've identified the skills gaps in the horse, identified the skills gaps in the rider, how do we go about then building on those fronts? What, what do we do? How can we divide the session? Just tell us a little bit about that. Okay, so what I do with my week is I have days where the horse is going to the gym, where it's getting muscles on the horse and it's all about the horse and I don't think about myself. So, for example, if you think of riding the likes of a 20-metre circle, if I'm in horse skills mode, I think of rotating the horse's rib cage so that they're being pushed around the circle. So if you think of Chris Bartle often talks about like pushing a wheelbarrow. And if you think of pushing a wheelbarrow and if you start to run pushing a wheelbarrow, there's a difference in the way the whole unit moves. And you've got to think of that driving around the turn. So if I'm in sort of horse development mode, that's what I'm thinking of. Then if we take that 20 meter circle and we think about the rider, the rider has to position themselves to allow the rib cage to rotate to the outside. So that means on a, the likes of a 20 meter circle, your, uh, your, your hip has to turn to facilitate that rotation. And if you're thinking about just the horse, you won't have room to think about uh, doing that as the rider. I suppose that's the way, what I mean is, if you think of, you start riding your 20 meter circle, you get your horse going really well, and then you maybe start thinking about your body position one day. Whereas then you come two days on and you're back doing flat work again and you're addressing 20 meter circle, you might start from the rider centered perspective. So that's what I'm getting at is trying to all the time ask, am I helping the horse at this moment or am I helping myself at this moment? No, that makes sense. Makes sense, certainly. And then that way you're working on both. What about um, exercises? Can you identify some exercises that are going to develop that, the range of the development aspects? Okay. Yeah. So um, you have to, again, once you've identified where your horse is at, you can start developing a plan. And again, this is where having a coach coming in and uh, working with you is, is, just, is just invaluable. A good coach who understands the requirements of what you're what you're doing. They don't necessarily have to have competed to a high level, but that they have a good understanding of what the horse uh, what the horse is thinking and needing. So um, I divide my week into I lunge one day a week, I flat or hack two days a week, I jump one day a week, and I do cavaletti jumping if you like one day a week. So that's ranging the likes of pole work, small fences, whatever. And that's where I can train the fifth leg, as, as we call it over here. So you're coming down to your small fence and you sort of really leave the horse to take on the fence. And I suppose you've got to again think of, you've got um, exercises to develop the horse's muscles. So for me, that's the lunging work and the flat work and the hacking work are all developing the horse's muscles. Um, you've got your jumping work and your cavaletti work, and that's developing the horse's mental agility and quickness. And I think that's something that we often forget, especially if you're thinking of the really elite level of eventing. Your horse is running for 10, 10 to 11 minutes on that cross-country course. 
And never mind the physical fatigue, the mental fatigue must be phenomenal. And if you look at how um, course designers design the courses, you'll see that you start off and usually there's some small questions at the start, those first four fences as you get into the flow of it all. Then in the middle, so the, the start of the middle, there's some more questions. There's some recoup time. And then there are more questions coming towards the end. Those questions that come towards the end are to test yours and your horse's mental reserves to make sure that you've done your training and development properly. And I suppose that's something that you've just got to always be thinking is what level am I competing to and how am I performing it? So, for example, in my arena at this time of year, you probably don't have this problem in Australia, really. When it's wet, you're not out on fields. So I have mobile cross-country fences and things that are that live in my arena so that my horses, even in the off-season when there's not room to do much, I have um, a bank at the end of the arena and we hop on and off the bank. I've got a water jump, which is really easy to fill at the moment. I have mobile cross-country. So the horse is always seeing the different shapes of fences but I, I have them small. They're all 70, 80 centimeters. So the horse's head is constantly being kept in the game and developed all the time. Okay. Okay. Obviously set up with a plan there. Now tell us about comfort zones. People get to a certain point and they go, mm, I'm feeling uncomfortable. Tell us about comfort zones and feeling uncomfortable. Okay. So the first, first uh, I'll just tell you about like the way the comfort zone works. So on the left-hand side, if you've got a Venn diagram, so two interlocking circles, on the left-hand side, you have uh, your comfort zone where you feel really, really comfy, things that are no problem, okay? Then on the right-hand side, in the other circle, you've got your fear zone. And in that intersection, you have the growth zone. So what you have to do to develop as a rider is you've got to constantly move yourself into that growth zone. So you've got to move out of your comfort zone towards your fear zone. The problem is if you move too far into the fear zone, you then become ineffective. What happens with people as they get scared is that they're not able to process the information that they're being given by their coach. So if you're coming down to the fence and you're, and you're scared, you revert to your pattern. So one of my patterns when I'm scared is I pull on the left rein when I get nervous. And no matter how hard I try, until I get over that fear, I can't let go of the grip of death on my left hand. Now, there's equipment out there that can help. So I've got this thing called a free jump collar. And if I don't have a free jump collar on, I've got a, a neck strap on. So when I feel scared, I grab the neck strap with my left hand, knowing that I will pull on the neck strap, not on the horse's mouth. But I suppose the thing that lots of people miss in their development is if you're going to your coaching session every week, and having a jolly, jolly time, and you go away going, you know what, I'm that little bit better, I, you know, I'm you know, really improving now, I think you're missing a trick. So like, I come away from lots of my coaching sessions and I'm being coached going, oh my God, that was so hard. Am I getting anywhere? And that's me, that's me in my growth zone. Because then when I go back and I take out the book and I look back and I go, oh, actually, do you know what? I'm leaps and bounds further on than I was a month ago. And I suppose I always think if, if you're going and just having a jolly time, that's fine if that's what you're after. I'm not after that. I'm after my personal centered development all the time. 
I want to go be coached and be challenged. Um, and it's okay if that's not what you want. But I think if you really want to try and make yourself move forward, you've got to be constantly challenged. And it wrecks my head sometimes. But I'll tell you, I'm a much better rider than I was years ago by being challenged all the way. Yeah, yeah. And when you say take out your book, you you mean the diary, you know, the one that we talked yeah, about earlier. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. The, 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 pers- the personal development journal where I've got my stars and my wishes on in, and we'll talk about that a little later because, uh, as you know, I've got a big thing about stars and wishes. Yeah, yeah. Now, the other thing too, Brendan, I was going to say, you know, to do with coaches. So you're coming in as a rider and you're saying to the coach, I'm a competitive rider, these are my goals, I want to keep improving, and your coach you know, if they, if they, well, coach, coaches partnering with you, put you in that growth zone all the time. Okay. Yeah. Um, there's going to be other people that say, oh, I just want to enjoy my riding. And if a coach is happy teaching them, they just, you know, it, it's a partnership with the coach as well. It's not just about you and the horse. It's you, the horse, the coach all working together as the team. It's absolutely, it's a triangle. And, and there's different, you know, there's different phases in the coaching process. Like I, I'm, because I'm I'm quite competitive and and I'm I'm passionate about learning and, and you know re-pushing myself. I actually don't really want to move into what I'd call the consolidation zone at the moment. So for your listeners, your consolidation zone is is where you know you've put in your work, you've built in your skills, and now we're going to sit and we're going to do a planned plateau where you're staying where you are to make sure those skills are really well ingrained. And it's an important phase, but I do my consolidating at home. I, I don't need to do that when I'm paying. Do you know what I mean? I'm also, I'm paying for some, for development. I, I don't want to pay for consolidation. And I suppose that's, maybe that's, maybe I'm missing a trick there. Maybe I should be consolidating under a coach's eye more often, but I don't want to do that at the mm-hmm. moment. No, I can, I can understand that, yeah. And I think that's that communication between you and your coach. How do you set just realistic benchmarks with your coach, right? You want to measure your progress. You want to work with your coach and set these benchmarks. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, I suppose that that came in with the, the idea of realism. Like you, sometimes you'll get people who will come into your arena and go, yeah, I want to do a two-star. And you're looking at them going, oh, my Jesus. Um, I, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. A two star is certainly on the cards in the short term. Now, don't don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that. Like, if if you got a lofty goal, like God, I suppose one of my big goals, I'd love to go and do a five star. But at the moment, I've got a 100 horse. Do you know what I mean? And do you know what? She probably doesn't have it in her to do a five star. But you know, by the end of my riding career, I want to have gone and done a five star in the same way as. I'd love to think that I, I'll have gone forward and I'll have, I'll have competed dressage to an advanced level. But again, I just don't have the horsepower for that at the moment. So I suppose the idea of the benchmarks is if you want to do, say, um, a two-star, I think two-star is a really good achievable level for nearly any horse. Um, you've got to think of the time scale that you're going to need and the goals you need to reach before you consider it. So we're lucky, I suppose, in that the sport protects us with the minimum entry requirements in that if you're nowhere near being able to do a two-star, the minimum entry requirements will stop you doing it. But on top of that, you've got to go, if I want to do go move from, I don't know, I presume you in Australia, you've got uh, 80s, 90s, 100s, 105s, 110s. 
So you've got to think before you move on to a 90 from an 80, you've got to make sure that your horse is jumping a meter at home over show jumps. Because if you're not show jumping sort of 10 centimeters higher, certainly at the lower levels, your chances of safely getting around the cross country are much lower. And the cross country test in the in eventing, and I suppose you know that's that's my end of things. That's what I coach. That's what I I ride. That's what I aspire to be good at. The cross country test is the ultimate test in the eventing. You know, you can do really well in the dressage, do really well in the show jump, but unless you go clear and inside the time cross country, you're not at the races. So I suppose you've just got to be thinking of developing that, and I suppose that's an off season job as well. In that. For example, in my arena, I've always got, even with the show jumps up, I've got eventing lines up and I'm always evaluating. Like my horse is really good to turn to the right, but the left turn. So if you're thinking of a double of shoulders, if you know what I mean, or a double of corners where there's a big shoulder on it, it's really good for me if the shoulders come from the right rein across because there's never going to be a problem with that. When they come off the left rein, I've got to swap that stick over and have it there to really make sure that we're going to get through these the shoulders because, you know, she doesn't run out. But if she was going to run out, she's going to run out to the left every time. Now, earlier on, we talked about goals and, you know, you talked about dreaming. Tell us about, and I know we've talked about it before, and I love it because some um, I've introduced it quite a bit. And I know that my students have introduced this quite a bit, my coaching students about staying positive and realistic, but the stars and the wishes? Okay. First, I've got to ask you a question. Um, how do they find their clients respond to the idea of stars and wishes? And then I'll answer you about you what they what? are. Beca- okay, because what normally would happen is someone in the class has done stars and wishes before. You understand stars and wishes? Great. Talk about stars and wishes. So if we started off with the person who loves it and understands them, saying these are my, you know, small star, wish, big star, the next person then understands. You know, because normally we do like a bit of a feedback sandwich or something, you know, where it's similar but not the same. So if we introduce it that the first person knows exactly what I want, then the next, the others follow on. Yeah. Okay. So stars and wishes, I'll just explain for those, like I've talked about them on a few other chats, but your small star is something that you have learned achieved or taken from today from this session in this moment it's immediate feedback for back to your coach or back to yourself and this is the first thing i write down in my little book i get home in the evening and you know i'll get be a bit tired and whatever but i'll always go to the book and write down something some kind of small star and i try not just to do it with my horse i try to do it with my coaching now some days I'm busy and, you know, I could be teaching 12 sessions, but I'll try and write down the red thread small star that I had that day. The next one is your wish. And your wish is something you wish you could do better. And I underline positive and realistic because you can't say for a wish, oh, I just wish I could ride better or I wish I could ride the shoulder in better. You've got to go back up to the start and go, I want to ride that shoulder in better. Where's the problem? And the problem could be your rhythm, your speed. It could be your horse's straightness going through to the contact, the purity of the pace. It could be anything. You got to go, I want to improve that shoulder in. 
by improving the regularity of the trot. And again, if we think back to like, I recently listened to Christoph Hesse's, uh, I can't remember if it was called, I think it was called Shouldering and Traver, maybe. Um, and he talked about the difference between leg yields, shoulderings, travers. And he talked about the impulsion and how the impulsion is often lost in the shouldering. It sort of gave me a little bit of a shake in that you've got to really get back into those base principles and have them as your wishes, developing uh, an exercise through those base wishes. Then the final one is your big star. And the big star is the one that my clients always groan at, especially Irish people have a complex about rewarding themselves for a job well done. Um, and what, I, what the big star is, is looking back, what have you developed over time? And um, you can look at that in a few different ways. You can, I usually say four to five sessions because that's recent memory. But if you can do your big star sitting in front of your book and thumbing back, even further, you can actually see my big star bank is actually huge. Look at what I've achieved. And, and it can give you that real sense of positivity. And I think positivity is something that we really need in the current time. You're lucky in that you guys aren't locked down so much, whereas over here and in other parts of the world, in lockdown, it's really easy to get stuck in a negative circle. And I suppose the stars and wishes are, are my outlet because I'm not naturally a positive person. I have to work out. And I think for those of us who are not naturally positive, the stars and wishes are a really helpful um, hammer, chisel and screwdriver uh, set of tools to, you know, build your positivity. I'm really glad we went over that because um, I thought I had it down pat, but you've explained, you know, about the, just the difference between the small star and the big star, the small star being from the lesson today, what have I learned? What have I achieved? What have I done better? But then the big star is, you know, the the going back and thinking over a period of time. But the, but the interesting thing about them as well is that for me, they change, they modify, they develop all the time. And I suppose that's the mark of a good system, like is that, yeah, the core system stays the same, but it's always moving forward. Like I've been to several Andrew McLean talks and, you know, there's a common, I call it the red thread going through what he's saying, but he's always building on through the research. And, you know, you listen to Angelo Teleton, you listen to Christoph Hess, you listen to all those big names, those big names that I aspire to be. And the big thing that's common all the way through is, yeah, they've got a system, but the system marches on and moves forward and always drawing on other people and learning from other people and learning from the research. And I suppose that's what I'm trying to do, uh, even though it's at a much lower level than many of your other guests. Oh, I think, you know, you say at a lower level, but no, I think that you're informative. You've always can clarify what you're talking about. And I think that, and that's a little bit what we were talking about before, we said everyone's going to get something different from, from their coach. You know, one coach is going to suit certain people, one, another coach, another chat is going to speak someone else. Someone, I think, who's looking at eventing. I can see lots of people, Brendan, that um, your training, your method of training is specifically going to suit them. So, um, yeah, all I can say is, you know, great to talk to you and uh, certainly looking forward to chatting again. I'm sure that there's lots and lots of people that don't look at your chats and say, oh, maybe that's not quite at my level. You know, I mean, how many people are riding Grand Prix anyway or how many people aspire to but are looking in that direction? 
well, you know, the, gra- the grassroots, you know, people at the lower level are the backbone of the industry and the riding school clients, like, we, won't, we wouldn't be here without them. Yep, absolutely, absolutely. And I think that's just an important point is that um, there's so many people in the industry, it's huge. And not just, I mean, you know, we, we're sort of talking more classically riding, but, you know, there's a lot of other areas within the industry. And I talk to people, you know, they talk to me and approach and just say, look, I, I didn't listen. I, you know, I always thought that I wasn't interested in, in dressage or in, you know, a particular thing, but I listen to the chats and it's really interesting and I can see how it can help me within my training. And I think if we can, can use horse chats to do a bit of cross-training and cross-educating of people and horses as well, I think that's important. Absolutely. Like I, I, lo- I, love, I love listening to this. There's been a few chats that have come from a sort of a Western or stocking perspective and working equitation and stuff. And uh, I suppose I find them the most interesting because I don't even have a, a pigeonhole window to look into that world. And listening to the way they train and the commonality horsemanship is horsemanship no matter yep. what you're doing yep yep absolutely absolutely brendan great to chat to you and uh for people who'd like to talk to you direct what's the best way the best thing to do is to log on to our website bergenequine.com and the, and if you send us an email from there or um get onto our facebook page is probably the best way of getting in touch um ringing me nearly never works because i'm dreadfully bad at answering the phone um emails are good because i can sit down in the evening and and get back to them and i will always get back to an email eventually okay and the other thing is too if you've missed that just go to horsechats.com search for brandon with an a or bergen b-e-r-g-i-n thanks very much glenn thanks great to talk to you brendan and i'll talk to you again soon bye bye if you've enjoyed this chat then please comment rate and subscribe If you'd like any changes or recommendations for guests, then please contact us through horsechats.com. And while you're online, have a look at the government-accredited courses at internationalhorsecollege.com. Registered Training Organisation 31352. Remember that our comments and instructions are general in nature and do not take into consideration your individual horses or your individual ability and circumstances. If you enjoyed this podcast, then please leave your comment below.